Mark chapter 8, please. Let's read the first nine verses. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and he gave thanks and break, and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us in this house and in our lives. We ask you now, Lord, to settle us as we bring your word, Father. May this man not be heard in my, in my own inability. I ask you, Lord, to fill my mouth. Fill my mouth with your words. Fill my mouth with what you would say. And we ask you, Lord, to fill our hearts. If there's one here who has not yet come to know the Lord Jesus as their own Lord and personal Savior, then, Father, we pray for them. And we ask you, Lord, to draw them, to quicken their hearts, to see the Lamb of God and their need of him. And, Father, we ask you to save them for time and for eternity. We worship you. We love you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look what the Lord has done. Part three. We looked how the Lord had come across the Sea of Galilee, stepped off a boat, met a man who was full of demonic spirits, devils, and demons. And that man was asked a question by the Lord. He says, what is thy name? And out of the man came the voice, my name is Legion, for we are many. And the Lord cast the legion of demons and devils out of the man into a herd of swine. They ran down a steep hill and into the sea and were drowned. And the Lord was basically chased away from the coast. His disciples were uh, with him at the time and they had seen this man, legion we'll call him just for a name, and they had seen this man, this madman of the Gadarenes or the Gergesenes as people call it, the madman of Gadara, who was in the tombs, cutting himself with stones, demented with what the devils were doing to him, crying in the middle of the night. He was an outcast who was cast out. No one wanted him. No one would speak to him. People give him a wide berth. They tied him up. They chained him up. They done all manner of things to keep this man at bay. But you know, this man broke all of those chains through the power of the devils and the demons that were in him. 
But when he meets Jesus, he's found sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And that man wants to follow Christ, but we're told that the Lord Jesus says unto the man, Go home and tell thy friends. And tell them, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Notice this. Jesus says, I want you to go to your family. I want you to go to your friends. And I want you to tell them about the compassion of the curios. In other words, Adonai, the great and almighty God, how he has had compassion on you. And this man goes home and he goes to the region of Decapolis, meaning ten cities. A man of infamy. A man who is cast out. A man who was a nobody. A man who was hated, who was fearful and people would have cowered at him. Demonic oppression and possession. And and this man is now preaching the gospel with passion, with fervor, with vigor. This man has met Christ and he is in love with him. And this man goes to ten cities and he can't stop talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The command was, tell thy friends. Go home to your family and tell them how great things the Lord or Jehovah has done for you. Yahweh. And we're told the man goes and he tells how great things Jesus had done for them. For him. You know that this tells me that this man knew when he met the Lord Jesus Christ that he met Jehovah himself. When this man stepped off a boat onto the shore and the madman of the Gadarenes ran down and the demons were squealing out of him, the demons were crying out of him because they saw the deity in that figure which walked along the shoreline. They saw Jehovah veiled and clothed in flesh. They bowed at his command and they bowed subservient to his word and they were cast out at his will. And Jehovah again through his son showed his glory and showed his deity to this man. This man was glad that he had met the Lord. And I can tell you, friend, if you have not met the Lord yet, as your own Lord and personal Savior. If you have never come to saving faith in Christ yet, I want to tell you when you meet him, it's like meeting nobody else for the first time. You'll never meet a man like Jesus. You'll never meet someone not as compassionate as he is. You'll never meet someone that is powerful like he is. You'll never meet someone who can sort you out the way he can. You will meet nobody like the Lord Jesus Christ. The first time you come and you set your eyes through, through faith in him, you will see Almighty God coming to your rescue like that man saw Jesus come on the shoreline when he got out of the boat. Can I ask you a question tonight? Have you met him, the Lord Jesus Christ? He is Almighty God and he and he alone can save you from your sin and forgive you for all your transgressions. He he alone has shed his blood that you may be free from all of the wiles of the devil. Do you know every man outside of Christ and every woman that they're all captive in one way, sense, shape or form 
under the bondage of Satan and off this world and the sin of it, and you're a slave to him, even if you're unconscious of it. Those who are feeling free, those young people who think, well, we can do what we like to be a Christian. You can do little. You can't go here and you can't go there and you can't do this and you can't do that. And whether it's older, younger, teenager, I want to tell you something. You are in bondage. You are under the yoke of the devil and you are a slave. You are a captive to your own imaginations and to the wiles of the devil. You are a slave and you are captive to the things of this world, to the depravity of your own human nature. You are a slave as you are in your sin. For they who commit sin are a slave of sin. And I want to tell you, but there's freedom to be had for you tonight if you give yourself to Christ. There's freedom in Jesus tonight. There's freedom from slavery, freedom from sin, forgiveness to be had when you sense and know, receive the great love and compassion that Christ brings to a life. Here was a man who found it out. As we said, we'll call him Legion for the sake of naming him. He experienced the compassion of Christ. Do you know Jesus says, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Do you know that I was made free the night I met Christ? Do you know that Christ set me free from the clutches of darkness and the demons of hell? Do you know that Christ liberated me and set me free? Whenever he saved me that night, he met me in a drastic, as it were, Damascus Road experience. And in my life, he came and he lifted me from the dunghill to set me among princes, unworthy, hell-deserving me. And unworthy, hell-deserving you. Christ met us on our own beach as though he had stepped out of the ship anew for the very first time. And he got involved. He, thank God, he interfered in my life and in yours. And he let us see our need of him. But he let us see the remedy for sin is in him. This man was not beaten over the head by a big stick. What do you mean? I could tell you of the fires of hell. And I could tell you of the things of the lost. And I could tell you of weeping and of gnashing of teeth. And I could speak it all and I could tell it to you. But I want to tell you something tonight. I want to tell you about the compassion of Christ. I want to tell you that he loves you. He loves you more than anyone else could ever love you. Sinner, he loves you. Saint, he loves you. He loves you more than you could ever dream, think, or imagine. He loves you with an everlasting love. His love will never fade. His love will never die. His love will never dissipate. His love remains the same. He is love, and his love is toward you tonight. His compassion met a man on a beach who was full of demonic spirits and devils. Now, if Christ loved that man and went across the sea and settled a storm and came through it all and stepped onto a beach to meet one man who was demon-possessed, 
How much more Christian who loves the Lord does he love you tonight? You feel unloved and you think unworthy. But in Jesus, his compassion never fails. He loves you. He said to this man, Go home and tell thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. The word compassion, as I have said last week, is the word elio. And there's two words here that I want to look at. It's the same English word compassion, but it's two entirely different Greek words, but bound together they mean the same. Let me explain. The word here that the Lord hath had compassion on thee means to help one who is afflicted and seeking aid. If you call upon the name of the Lord tonight, his compassion will reach you. And he will come to the man or the woman who realized their need of Jesus. And he will come to their aid with great love and tender mercy. And Christian, if you're in need tonight and you don't know what way to turn, let me assure you and reassure you again and again that a cry from the heart, a cry to your Savior means that his great love and compassion will find you and meet you right where you're sitting tonight. Where you're listening to the word of God, his compassion can reach you and meet you, for he loves you. It gives the idea to help one afflicted or seeking aid, to help the wretched. I know there is no more wretched than this man we call Legion. Like blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy on me. And Christ stopped and heard the cry and he went the whole way to see the man who was born blind and in need of a touch from the master. And he came and he gave him his vision back. He had compassion on him. The heart of Christ moved him to touch that man. Friend, what have you come in here tonight with? What have you come in here tonight with? What have you left behind at home? What is going on in your surroundings where you live, in your family? What has the doctor said to you? Here is the great Savior. Here is the great physician. Here is our wonderful Redeemer. And he says, call on me, and I will come to your aid. The compassion of Christ, we gave a list a couple of weeks ago that it changes lives, it converts the lost, it convinces the doubter, it casts out the devil, it cures the conscience, it cultivates the heart, it conquered the grave, it captivates the soul, it cleanses from sin, it clears us from death, it clothes us in righteousness, and it covers us in the blood. All because he loved you. And still loves you. So this is where we left off last week. And if you, if you remember, it was note to self. That's what I wrote in my, 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 my sheet here as I was writing this. Note to self. Ken, take note. Can you make sure that you take note of this? No matter what goes on in your life. No matter how blessed you even feel. Take note, Ken. Brother, sister, take note. Note to self. This is what I wrote. Our glory must never be And what we can do or what we have done for Christ. 
But what Christ has done and what Christ can do for us, we glory only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 9 and 24, the Lord says this, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Here the Lord tells us that if you and I want to glory, friend, sir, lady, whoever you are, and maybe you're not saved, and you think that you'll get to heaven, that you'll enter the kingdom of God through your works, your alms, your deeds, your denomination, your religiosity, what side of the fence you came from, what color of skin you have, or whatever other reason, and you think you will enter heaven by it, then you're glorying in yourself. You're glorying in who you are and what you've done. And the cross of Christ has become of none effect to you. You know the only reason you'll enter the kingdom? That you'll enter heaven's gates? Do you know the only reason you'll enter the throne? That you'll go to that place to worship Christ? Do you know the only reason you will? Because Jesus came and he shed his blood and he died for you. And you received him as your Lord and Savior. We glory in nothing save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the Lord says, if you want a glory, glory that you understand me. Now let me do this quickly. It's the word Shaquille. It means Glory that that you understand, that you acknowledge, that you know, that you've turned your mind to realize. That's where it reads. The Lord says you can glory, but glory in this. That your prosperity, that is your mental, physical welfare, no matter your spiritual welfare, no matter what work you've done, no matter what house you've got, no matter how much money you've got, no matter the job you have, no matter how hard you've tried, no matter how spiritual you are, no matter the health you have in your body, he says, it's all from me. All of it is from me, he says. And if you want the glory then, don't dare glory, he says, in my presence, on who you are. But glory in me that it's from me. That's the idea of God saying. He says, get it into your mind and turn it toward me that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness and neither shadow of turning. Sir, do you see the job you have? You might have worked hard. You'd have got nowhere if it wasn't ordained of God. Boast in riches. You have nothing without him. You know why you have health in your body? Do you know why you live and move and have your being? Do you know why you can breathe and your heart's beating and your eyes are batting their eyelids? Do you know why? Because he has given you the ability to prosper in it. He says, now glory in that, that it's all from me. Oh, Father, help us. To glory in you tonight that you've been so good to us. You've been so kind to us. You've been so loving to us and generous and compassionate toward us. And we will glory in you alone. 
He says, understand where I'm coming from toward you. It's all from me. Every single thing, everything we have, our salvation from beginning to the very ending, that is, till Christ return. Every single part of your salvation is all wrapped up and organized and planned and purposed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, don't come to me with your good works and your alms and your deeds and your churchiosity and your religion and, and your, 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 even the color of your skin or whatever you want to come. Don't dare come to me with that, he says. Come to me and you can say, Lord, I glory in your grace and in your mercy. That's what God wants you to glory in. Christian, let's remember and turn our minds back Turn our minds back to the cross of Christ. Turn our minds back to the precious shed blood. Turn our minds back to our heavenly Father who's loved us with great compassion and has planned and purposed a people on the earth that we may glorify him and glory in him. That you understand and knoweth. The word knoweth as Yadah means to be aware that you will discover to be acquainted with me. Notice the Lord says that you understand and you have experienced me. The Lord says, come on, you want a glory? Understand it's all from me. Now I glory that you're experiencing me. Do you know if you can't understand that our salvation is totally from him? Nothing to do with you whatsoever. That our salvation is completely and totally solely from him. And that all that we have is given from him. No matter how hard we have worked for it. Do you, until we understand that and we glory in God who has been so good and gracious and kind and loving and compassionate toward us. Until we do that, we will not be able to enter the realms of knowing him and searching him and seeking him out and finding out more about him. Becoming more acquainted with him and experiencing more of his power in our lives. Now, when you and I realize with grateful hearts, oh God, how good you are to me. And it's all from you. Gary sings because God's given him a gift and it's from God and he knows it. So he uses it to glorify him. People on the, on the sound know it's God's gift to be able to do that and so they glorify him with it. There's people who preach and they glorify God with it. And there's people who can witness and they glorify God with it. Christina runs the children's church or, or, or the kingdom kids and she glorifies God with it because God has given her the gift. Because he loves her and because he loves them little ones. And wherever you are, God loves you, has a plan and a purpose for your life and he wants to give you the gift that you would glorify him in it. You will experience him with a deeper love, he says. Listen to what he says, that you would understand and know that I am the Lord who exercise loving kindness is one, judgment is two, and righteousness in the earth is three. And the word loving kindness, we looked at this last week. And to exercise is the word asa, and it means to perform, I make, I maintain, I prepare. In other words, the Lord does it all. One old Puritan said about the Lord, he says, God is the cause of causes. 
God is the cause of causes. God says, I exercise. I make and I perform. I want you to try and stay with me in this train of thought. Because when Jesus had compassion on this man, Legion, then has compassion on a multitude, you will see the heart of God in this. And you will see the heart of God of compassion through his son. God just working. God moving. God brooding in him and moving that he would touch lives. The word loving kindness, kissed, also means mercy and favor. The Lord says, I exercise loving kindness. I exercise mercy. It's not beautiful. In other words, God, speaking in human terms and reverently before my Lord, I know he hears me, but speaking reverently, God is saying, see in my being. That is the being of the great Elohim, the great Yahweh creator God himself, the God of the universe. He says, in my being, I exercise my will to love you, to show you mercy, and to give you favor. What sort of favor is it that God would call himself and exercise it on a tree? Job 10 and 12, I just want to mention this one. We mentioned it last week. Job 10 and 12, Job says, Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. My life, Lord. And drastic and terrible things. The devil's attacked me and he's blew my house down and some of my children have died and all has been taken away from me. But Lord, I know that all was in your charge and I don't understand. Yes, I'm grieving. Yes, I'm hurting. Yes, I, Lord, I even felt like running away and I wanted to go to the other side of the planet. But Lord, I'll tell you this. I know that you me in it all. And you oversaw my life. Even in the depths of my despair, he says, you had favor on me. You stood like a watchtower, preserved my spirit. He says he exercises loving kindness or favor. Judgment is mispat. And it means that he will exercise from a seat of judgment sin in the earth. Listen to what Psalm 1 and 5 says. The ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Do you see, friend, when those who are not saved and those who are saved are separated one from another at the coming of Christ and at the judgment seat, whether it be as we die and then stand before the seat or before our Lord Jesus Christ. He separates the righteous. Does that mean those who have done good? No, it means those who are in Christ. 
and have Christ's righteousness. He separates the righteous in Christ from those who are outside of Christ. And the sinner will not be with the righteous. And he also says that the ungodly shall not stand in judgment. It doesn't mean you won't be in judgment. It simply means this. It says you'll not have a leg to stand on. Guilty as charged, your honor. And God will require of you his great love. Now listen to me. God will require of you his great love. I love you. I exercised my will to love you. And I came and bled and died in the person of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you turned my love away. My compassion was toward you. Now you cannot stand in front of me. He exercises righteousness as tzedakah, and it means to exercise righteously in justice and government. It means he's righteous in his ways and in his acts. You know, God, people say, well, he, he, he's a God of love, and he is compassion and he is but those who reject that love that he extends to you when they stand before him it says he has to exercise what's right we live in a nation we live in a country we live in a province where there's no justice now that's a fact we live in a province where there's no justice and those who have committed murders and atrocities sit on the government and they pray it up and down the street and flaunt it in people's faces and they've never hardly done a day in jail for it. There's no justice, yet they get away with it, but not in God's eyes. Not in the eyes of God. And the sinner is the same. You'll not get away with it. Stand before him and his love that was measured out and poured out to you. His great love has been rejected. You see, God is righteous in all his ways and justice will prevail. That Christ has died for those who have rejected him and they have turned him away and didn't want to know him. That Christ's blood is not enough and they thought that they would glory in themselves. And glory in their own lifestyles and glory in what they want to do and glory in where they want to go and glory in the nightclubs and glory in their alcoholism and drug addiction and glory in their religiosity and their denomination and their churchianity and glory in their own selves being morally right and correct and upstanding in the community when really all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. God will righteously judge. There's no one, no one that will be turned away from Christ in that day and can point the finger of Jesus and say, oh, you were unfair, for Christ is just in all his ways. This is what I wrote again on righteousness. These are my own thoughts. Listen to this. Righteousness is only acceptable to God when it is imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness comes from God 
For it is an attribute of God's character and God's nature imputed to the sinner. Christ was nailed to the tree and he took my sin. He took yours. And he imputed, he gave as as though he covered me with a cloak, a garment, a robe. He put his coat on me and it says the coat of righteousness on me. And that's what God accepts and that's what we are to glory in. Psalm 41.11 talks about the Lord's favor and delight. The word here, the Lord says that he delights in these things. The word delight is kefetz and it means he takes pleasure. In other words, Psalm 41.11 says, By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy did not triumph over me. Listen to what David says, Lord, you favored me. Now that sounds presumptuous, doesn't it? That sounds arrogant, doesn't it? But David says, Lord, you favored me. Lord, you take pleasure in loving me and showing me compassion. Lord, you favored me, keeping me in a justified state. You delight pronouncing me righteous. You delight in me. You take pleasure in me. And you exercise your own person, your own self, and your own will in doing so. Do you realize tonight, Christian, that God loves you and he exercises within himself his love, his favor, his grace towards you? What would God say to you tonight if you could hear him with the audible voice. I believe tonight he would say, listen, I love you. His favor was toward David, and David knew it for his enemies couldn't prevail. And when God's favor is upon us, we realize that our enemies cannot prevail against us. The devil has to let go. And this is what leads in found out. The man realized that the very favor of God was upon him. So note to self, our glory must never be in what we can do or in what we have done for Christ, but in what Christ has done and what Christ can do for us. This is when we cry from our very title this evening, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done in your life. Look where the Lord has brought you from. Christian, think about it. Look from the sin, the depravity of your human nature. In other words, the depravity of human nature is this. Your total, complete inability to save yourself. In other words, you and I, we're just going to turn to the dust and go into judgment. Unable to glory in the presence of God. But now you and I, are regenerated of the Spirit. We're washed in the blood. We're forgiven of our sins. We are justified, just as if we had never sinned. We are clothed with a robe, with a coat of the righteousness of Christ. And we're filled with the Holy Ghost. And you and I are glorying in what God has done for us. We glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in our reading, that's my introduction. I'm wrapping up, you're okay. 
So in our reading, Mark chapter 8 and verse 1 says, In those days, this man heralds, enamored by Christ, in love with him, delighted to be free, glorying in the Lord, glorying in his goodness and in his compassion that the Lord has had upon him. He tells ten cities of his infamy and of Christ's fame. And he tells of Jesus who is coming. And he said, this one who is coming is a glorious one and you can glory in him. So Jesus in those days comes and we're told that people are being healed. There's days of healing, blessing, signs, miracles, wonders, deliverance, salvation, redemption, preaching, teaching, favor, mercy, grace, manifestation and demonstration of the power of God all over the place. And in the midst of it all, people are hungry, people are crying, and even the very closest to Christ, they turn into him and they can't see the wood for the trees. All this is going on. And in those days, when all this is going on, Christ turns to them and looks at his disciples. You know, how complacent can we get? How complacent can we be? That after seeing the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 men beside women and children, after coming across the sea and seeing Christ walk on the water and calm the waves with his word and get into the ship and come to the other side, and after seeing legion being cast out of the man and the demons fleeing up to 6,000 demons in one man, after seeing it all, by the time they get there, they become complacent. How does that happen? How does it happen? Christian, let's seek our hearts and ask, how does it happen that our faith becomes numbed? That our hearts become dumb? How does it happen that our hearts and our minds get in such a fix that God is a God for someone else as we even heard this morning and God was our God but now the whole shininess of the gold has went dim to brass. The excitement of Christ in our life and the love for Jesus in our hearts is no more in our lives. How does it happen when we see so much of God in our lives and what God is doing and we're glorying in our salvation and then suddenly we look around as if we're dumbstruck. We're told the people around greatly marveled, were astonished. They were like, wow, look at this. Oh, the first love for Christ is the amazing love. The first love and passion for Christ. And oh, we can become so complacent for him that we become so dead in our spirits, so carnal in our ways, that we forget to give God the glory and remember what he's done for us and where he's brought us from. How does it happen? How do I know this happened? I'll show you this. Too much material. I'm taking off my notes. So you have to forgive me. How does that happen? Well, here's the thing. The Lord challenges them. And he challenges them by saying this. Let's read verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto them and saith, I have compassion on the multitude. There's the challenge. Notice what he said. He didn't say, 
we have compassion or do you have compassion? He shows them his own heart. Nobody knows what Christ is thinking. And there's miracles happening everywhere. And he's watching every man and every woman as he would do in here this evening. And he's watching from one person to the next. And he's touching and he's blessing and he's speaking and he's teaching. And he's raising people up. And they're all going mad around him because they can't believe what's going on in the midst. And it's all from Jesus. And he says to his disciples, I have compassion on this multitude. Jesus challenges them. I have compassion. And they look one at another and go, on? In other words, Jesus challenges disciples, I have compassion to you. I have compassion, so feed them. I have compassion, do you have my heart? I have compassion. Do you have enough faith? Do you trust enough and believe that I am the same? That I can meet the need of these people just the way I did the 5,000 men beside women and children across the sea of Galilee? He says, I have compassion. Here's the thing. In verse 4, his disciples answered him, Whence can a man satisfy these men? Oh boy. I don't know how the Lord felt, but I'm sure as a human being, as a man, I'm sure his heart sank. And whence can a man satisfy these men? Standing in front of Jesus, hey? Lord, you used to be the great satisfier of hearts. You used to be able to do these things. Lord, you used to touch. Lord, you used to fill. You used to help. You used to heal. Lord, you used to speak. You used to give your spirit. Lord, you used to do these things. Isn't that what we're like? Complacent when the challenge comes and God says, no. You see, I really wanted you to have my heart that my spirit within you would go and feed. We'd step out and do. And he challenges them. Well, once can a man? What about Christ? What about the 5,000? What about Legion? What about the storm? What about the fountain of all hope with before them? Here's the thing. What about the exercise of God and the earth that we glory in? Come on, Christian, in your heart, think about it. What about the God who exercises his own heart, who exercises his own will, who exercises himself? It gives the idea right to the very bowels of a man. Jesus says, and the word here for compassion, the second word is the word prachnesomai. And it gives the idea of this, to be moved to the seat of love and pity. It gives the idea that Jesus standing as a man was moved to his very innards, his very bowels, his kidneys, all of it throbbed with compassion for people. Is the difference. You see, you can have compassion and love and grace in your heart, and you can have faith and all that wrapped up inside you. But unless that compassion or that splagnesomai becomes an Elios, that is, moves in faith and power and action. 
That's faith without works being dead. This crowd didn't know how much the Lord loved them. This crowd didn't realize what God was thinking about them. And the very heart of God that says, I exercise myself in loving you. Jesus says, I am exercised with favor for these people. I'm closing, listen to this from Isaiah. Beautiful, if I can't say picture or even prophetic fulfillment here of Isaiah 58 verses 10 and 11. Picture Christ standing there and the hungry around him and the needy. If thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy thy soul in drought, then shall thy light rise in obscurity. And thy darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose, whose waters fail not. Here Christ is standing there and his soul is drawn out for these people. Do you know he's the same yesterday? today and forever and you don't know what God's thinking about you I do see that Bible it tells me Jesus loves me this I know well, the Bible tells me so it tells me he loves you that his bowels as it were in human sense that his very innards his nature is moved for you proved it when he sent his son I gotta wrap up time is flowing Jesus says I have compassion on the multitude we're told he feeds them all and sends them all the way home satisfied filled do you know if you receive the compassion of Christ tonight and realize you can only glory for salvation and Christian that you can only glory in what he's done for you and his great love for you. That's all you can glory in. Him alone. I, I hope you're getting it. I hope we're all getting it. Ken, I hope you're getting it. I hope, Ken, that you're listening to what you're saying yourself, what God is placing in your mind and heart, Ken. I hope you're getting it. And brothers and sisters, friend, unsaved, I hope you're getting it. There is no one, there is nothing can glory in his presence. We glory alone in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have nothing to glory in. Don't come to God on that day and say, I tried. I went to church. Don't come to God, Christian, and say, I, by my own works, have got mine own gains. For like that man who had the barn, who pulled down his barns to build bigger, and says to his own soul, soul, Take now thine knees, eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord says, Thy foolish night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Let us glory in him. Let us look. Look what the Lord has done. 
Brother, look what the Lord has done. Sister, look what the Lord has done. Church, look what the Lord has done. God bless us. We're going to sing something.